The Joy Luck Club was a New York Times bestseller. It was written in 1989. Several years later, they produced a movie about it, but it's a story of four mothers and four daughters who come to the United States as immigrants. And one of these daughters is a little girl who has the capacity, as she would put it, to see the secrets of a chessboard. And so she goes on at a very early age to become a national chess champion at the age of eight. And her only liability at that point is her mother, who is deeply envious of her gifts that she has and is using her to get wealth and power. And there's one point at which this little girl speaks back to her mother. And her mother at first gives her this icy, silent treatment. And then she turns to her and she says, you are nothing. You are nothing at all. This little girl describes what happened next. What she said to me was like a curse. This power I had, this belief in what I'd been given, I could actually feel it draining away. I could feel myself becoming so ordinary and all the secrets that I once saw, I couldn't see anymore. All I could see were my mistakes and my weaknesses and the best part of me disappeared. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. And they either build up or they tear down. You and I are bombarded with words every day. And the question becomes, which ones should you actually listen to? Moses is coming to the end of his life, and he's preparing the people for going into the promised land when he tells them who they should listen to in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Centuries later, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And at the top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. And Moses and Elijah appear. And God speaks almost identical words, fulfilling the words he spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy 18. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. But why? Why should you listen to Christ? There's a lot of words for you to listen to in this world. Why should you listen to Christ? First, his word has the power to forgive you. His word has the power to forgive you. Moses says to the people, God's gonna send another prophet, a better prophet, ultimately speaking of Jesus Christ. What's interesting in verse 16 is that Moses acknowledges that the people have already asked for one. 
Verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. Now, what event is Moses referring to there? He's referring to Mount Sinai, God speaking his 10 commandments to the people, giving them the law at Mount Sinai. And right after God gives them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, this is how they respond in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were terrified. They were scared to death when God spoke to them because God had just given them the law and they knew they couldn't stand up under it. Their response of fear is similar to many responses we see in the Old Testament of God's people when they're before his face. Think about the Garden of Eden when our first parents sinned and they were expelled from what they hid in the garden. And it says God came to them to visit them and, and when they heard God coming, it says they hid and they were afraid. Think about the prophet Isaiah. He gets this grand vision of the Lord. Grand vision. The foundations of the temple started to shake. It was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cowers before God and says, woe to me. Woe is me. Fear. Fear of judgment. And in the midst of their fear, they say, Moses will listen to you. What they were really saying is, Moses, we need someone to stand between us and God. We need someone to stand between us and God. And notice God's response to their request. Verse 17, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. God actually affirmed their request. And then he describes what his response would be. In verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. God would raise up this prophet Jesus. He'd put his words in his mouth. But what are the words that God would put in Jesus' mouth? What are the words that he would put in his mouth? This very scene that Moses describes at Mount Sinai is described again in the New Testament in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That was the scene at Mount Sinai after God spoke. Verse 24, but you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood speaks. The blood speaks. Now, why is the blood of Jesus a better word than the blood of Abel? Well, what's the blood of Abel? Well, after our first parents sinned and they were expelled from the garden, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel. 
The blood of Abel calls for revenge. The blood of Jesus calls for forgiveness. The blood of Abel calls for revenge. The blood of Jesus calls for forgiveness. Someone's blood is speaking to you all the time. Now you say, that's really, that's really weird and really graphic. What are you talking about? Blood doesn't speak. Someone's blood is speaking to you all the time. We live in a fallen and broken world, which means most often your blood that someone has caused you to shed or someone else's blood that you have caused to shed is speaking to you. Maybe not physically causing blood to shed, but emotionally. In other words, you have emotional pain that someone caused you or someone else has pain that you have caused them. And that blood and that pain speaks. If it's your blood that someone else caused you to shed, then that blood, your blood, speaks. And it fills you with anger. It fills you with vengeance. It fills you with bitterness. If it's someone else's blood that you caused to be shed, someone else's pain, then you're filled with shame and you're filled with guilt. Most of us live our lives with one of those two bloods speaking. And so that means you either live a life where you're filled with anger, bitterness, and vengeance, if it's your blood that's been shed, or you live a life of shame and guilt if it's someone, other, someone else's blood that you've shed. It's actually a really crummy way to live. It's just a crummy way to live. When your blood or someone else's blood is speaking. But there's a third blood that speaks. There's a third blood that speaks. It's the blood of Jesus. What does the blood of Jesus say? Remember back to Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, I'm raising up for you a prophet. I'm gonna put my words in his mouth and command him to speak. So what does the blood of Jesus speak? Well, remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross. What did he say as his blood was pouring out? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Jesus' blood was pouring out because of your sin, my sin. It's our sin that caused his blood to shed. And yet as we caused his blood to shed, his response was not a call for revenge. It wasn't a call for vengeance. It was a call for forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Jesus bore the judgment you deserved so that you could take forgiveness that you don't deserve, that you could receive forgiveness. Jesus' word has the power to forgive you, to forgive you, and to then empower you to forgive others who have hurt you and to forgive yourself for how you've hurt others. It was December 20th, 1974, Chris Carrier was a 10-year-old boy living in Coral Gables, Florida. He came home from school one day and traumatically his life was changed forever. 
10-year-old boy walking home from school, he was abducted by a man who stabbed him several times with an ice pick, burned him with cigarettes, shot him in the head, and left him to die in the Everglades. Miraculously, six days later, Chris woke up, dazed and confused, sitting on a rock. The bullet had passed behind his eyes and out his right temple. He was blinded in his left eye, but there was no brain damage. Chris said, for the next three years, I lived with tremendous anxiety. Most nights I would wake up frightened, imagining I'd heard someone coming in the back door. I'd find refuge in my parents' room, curling up on the floor at the foot of their bed. But then at age 13, through a Bible study at his youth group at Granada Presbyterian Church, he heard of God's providence and it gave him great hope and security. He went on to go to seminary, got a seminary degree, became a youth pastor at that same church. Now the story doesn't end there. 22 years later, 22 years after the statute of limitations had passed, meaning that whoever had done this to him could no longer be tried. 22 years later, a 77-year-old man, David McAllister, confessed to the crime. He had no family. He had no friends. Chris forgave him. In fact, he went to visit him and found in this North Miami Beach nursing home a frail, blind, ex-convict of a man He started reading the Bible with him. He started praying with him. And David McAllister came to profess faith in Jesus Christ, and he told CNN that Chris was the best friend he had ever had. Chris said this, I know the world might view me as a victim of a horrible tragedy, but I consider myself the victim of many miracles. And while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, from my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spend my life looking for revenge, then I wouldn't be the man I am today. The man my wife and children love, the man God has helped me to be. When McAllister died about a month later, he had no family or friends to claim his remains. And so Chris prepared the funeral for him, paid his respects. Whose blood speaks loudest in your life? Whose blood speaks loudest in your life? Is it your blood? For all that people have done to hurt you, is it someone else's blood for what you've done to hurt them? Or is it the blood of Jesus? Because only the blood of Jesus can set you free. 
and melt away the anger and the vengeance and the bitterness and the shame and the guilt and empower you to forgive others. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Why should you listen to Christ? Because his word has the power to forgive you. But second, his word has the power to transform you, to transform you. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ, the long expected prophet, speaks. His word upholds this universe. That means that this world holds together by a mere word by Christ's word. That's how powerful his word is. Infinitely more powerful than any human word there is. Human words have a degree of power. They certainly convey information, but they can do more than that. Right? Human words can get things done. For example, you can say, let there be lights in this room. But for there to be light in this room, you have to make sure that the room's wired correctly. You have to walk over to the wall switch, flip a switch on, or you have to go to a cabinet and get a candle and a match and light a candle. But human words have a degree of power, but human words have to be backed up by deeds, and that's why they can fail. Because oftentimes deeds don't follow human words. Completely different with Christ. Christ's words and his actions are identical. That means that when Christ speaks, it's done. It's one and the same. That's how powerful his words are. That's why he is the long-expected prophet. We say, what does this have to do with transformation? What's this have to do with your heart being transformed? Well, what Moses spoke to the people in Deuteronomy 18 was actually a huge shock. You have to understand, Moses was their deliverer. Moses was their founding father. Moses was their architect. He architected their faith. And so when he said, I am, or God is going to send another prophet that can do what I was unable to do, that was a shock to the people. Moses gave them the law faithfully, but he couldn't get them to obey it. Moses told them what they had to do, but he couldn't get them to do it. He was unable to get them to do it. This is the story of God's people from Exodus through Deuteronomy. Exodus 32, Moses there at the base of Sinai, God delivers the Ten Commandments, Moses delays coming down, so what do they do? They panic. They take the jewelry off, they melt it, and they make it into a God to worship. Then there's the incident at Massa where there's no water. And so they hatch up a plan to kill Moses and go back to Egypt, all after God had just ended four centuries of slavery. He had split a sea in half. 
He had, he had rained down tons of bread to feed them. Moses had been able to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt, but he could not deliver them from the slavery of their unbelief and their idolatry. The giants of Canaan weren't nearly as fearsome as the sin and the fear that was in their hearts. Moses told them what to do, but he couldn't get them to do it. The law cannot change the human heart. The law doesn't have the power to change the human heart. It can tell you what you should do, but it can't get you to do it. Now, a law with enough consequences can get some modified behavior for a time. Those of you that parents, you understand that. You put enough consequences out there, you can probably get your child to do something, but it hasn't changed their heart. It hasn't changed their heart. If you don't love something, you can't be commanded to love it. If you don't love something, you can't be commanded to love it. For example, I don't like coffee. I know I'm a rare breed. And I, maybe I've lost some points with you exquisite coffee drinkers. But it doesn't change the fact I don't like coffee. Now you could say, Keith, you're gonna get thrown in prison if you don't drink a cup of coffee. I would probably drink a cup of coffee. I still wouldn't like it. I still wouldn't like it. Moses told the people, God's gonna send you another prophet, a better prophet. That's not just gonna modify your behavior, but it's gonna change you from the inside out. It's gonna transform your heart. It's gonna change what you love, change your desires so that you can follow his law. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. The words of Christ change the human heart. Let me give you an example of this in John chapter 20. Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears to Mary Magdalene. Mary goes back to the disciples and says, Jesus is alive. That same evening, so this is hours after Mary has just told them that Jesus is alive, they are locked in a room for fear of the Jews. They are scared, they're confused, they're fearing for their lives because they had just crucified their master and they believed they were next. Locked in that room, Jesus appears in the room with them. And he says twice, peace be with you. Eight days later to Thomas, he would say the same thing. Peace be with you. Those disciples unlocked the door, walked out, and began to fearlessly preach the gospel and died for it. Now you say, what transformed them from fearful, anxious people locked in a room to fearlessly preaching the gospel and dying for it? What transformed them? 
Mary Magdalene was a prophet of sorts. I mean, she came to him. She said, Jesus is alive. That didn't do it. They were still locked in that room. I doubt this happened, but one of the disciples could have stood up in the room and give a, given a rousing pep talk. Again, I don't think that happened. But even if that would have, that wouldn't have changed them. Jesus came among them. Jesus came among them. Say, so what transformed them? To really understand what transformed them, you have to understand why they were locked in that room. Why were they locked in that room? You say, hello, they were scared. Yes, they were scared. Why were they scared? Because what they loved most was about to be taken away. They loved their lives most. And there was a threat that that could be taken away. Fear and anxiety always reveal what you love most. You're fearful and you're anxious because what you love most is about to be taken away or there's a threat that it's gonna be taken away. So back to the question, what transformed them? Someone greater walked in the room. Someone greater than what they loved most walked in the room. Love walked into the room and Jesus spoke his powerful word into them and breathed his Holy Spirit into them so that when he departed, the Spirit of Christ would be saying to them and speaking into their hearts, peace be with you. In the midst of very anxious and various fearful situations, notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't take away the situation. He didn't take away what was causing the fear. The Jews and the religious leaders still wanted to kill them. He didn't take that away. He transformed their hearts. He took the fear out of their hearts, the anxiety out of their hearts, because he spoke his peace into their hearts. And that's why they then went out and proclaimed the gospel. And guess what came to fruition? Their greatest fear. They would die. They would die. The very thing that had locked them in that room, they were no longer afraid of. Because their desires, their affections were changed. They loved Jesus even more than they loved their own lives. And so transformed affections led to transformed behavior. A man received notice that his son, who was in high school, had failed a course. And this father was determined that his son was gonna to go to a top-rated college. And he was fearful that this failed course was gonna jeopardize him getting into a top school. So this father was filled with anger and he walked into the school and he walked into the teacher's classroom and he told the teacher why it was wrong that he had failed his son and how his son had deserved a better grade. And the teacher, believing he had done the right thing, believing his son had earned the failure, stood his ground. 
And the father threatened to have his job. He threatened to go talk to the principal and the teacher wouldn't back down. So the father marched out of the teacher's room into the principal's office and began the tirade there that his son did not deserve to fail this course. And he told the principal in a rage, I will have your job. I will go to the school board until my son's grade is changed. And the principal, having reviewed it with the teacher, believed he did the right thing. And so the principal stood his ground. The father got more and more angry. And right at the height of the tension, there was a pause. And the principal said, sir, I see that you love your son very much. And instantly, that father's anger that controlled him melted away into a shower of tears. The word of Christ has the power to forgive you. It has the power to transform you. It has the power to melt away your anger, your bitterness, your vengeance, your shame, your guilt. Are you listening to him? Let's pray. Father, we confess our anger. We confess our bitterness. We confess our shame, our guilt. And we confess the reason we feel all of those is because our blood or the blood of someone else is like a megaphone in our ear. Father, we need the blood of Jesus to speak loudest. Father, I ask that those in this room that are gripped, imprisoned, enslaved by anger and bitterness because of how others have hurt them, that Jesus, you would speak your powerful word into their hearts, that your blood would speak and release them from that. And Father, for those that are filled with shame and guilt because of the pain they have caused someone else, the blood that they have caused to be shed, Jesus, would you speak powerfully into their hearts? Would you free them from their shame and guilt? Would your blood set them free? In this time of Advent, Father, where our hearts are filled with so much sin and fear and anxiety, would you by your spirit open our ears and our hearts to hear, to hear and listen to the words of your son, Jesus, that we might be set free. We pray this all in his name. Amen.